So what's on your bucket list? Did y'all tally it in? Let's see how we're doing as a church. You online, here in the room, let's see where we are on our bucket list. All right, traveling to a new country. Everybody that did that, way to go. I'm with you, love to travel. Swimming with some dolphins. Riding in the hot air balloon, very good. Well, uh, y'all keep sending those in. I actually don't have a bucket list, hadn't had one until I thought about what would be on it. So I spent some time just dreaming because really isn't that what a bucket list requires for us to dream a little bit? So I did dream and I just wanna tell my husband, get your wallet ready. So my bucket list is an on the screen, here's mine. I want to go to the top three most beautiful beaches in the world. Why not, right? Um, I wanna visit 10 places in the US that rank as the best natural, kind of nature experiences in the US. I wanna go on a safari trip where you go out in the wilderness for two weeks and you stay in one of those tents, those really nice tents, okay? That's where I'm going. Well, if all else fails, John, number four is, I think we can do, uh, learn to paint with watercolors. How about that? That's a good one for the bucket list. Well, well, those are the things I put on my list. I'm all for these kinds of experiences, you know, in life that bring us joy and adventure, a sense of accomplishment. But the truth is, there is more to life than this life, the here and now. Like in light of eternity, here and now is a drop in the bucket. There is the now and the not yet. And so in this series, while we're kind of dreaming about the here, we want to also help you think about the not yet. What we want to do in this series is look at a different kind of bucket list. We're going to challenge you with a bucket list that really, I think, if we say yes to these things, we will live a life more than we ever dreamed of or expected. And that's God's will for your life. Jesus stood up before a crowd, much like us, and he said these words, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey friend, I have a bucket list with your name on it and if you live it, it will be more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow and I don't know about you, but I want that. Anybody else? I want that kind of life. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at the life of Christ and what the Bible teaches would be on our bucket list. So we're gonna look at four things that won't be written on a piece of paper in the end. Our heart's desire is that those are written on our hearts. These four things that will influence the decisions I make, the choices with my time, my thoughts, the way I operate at home and work, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my recovery, with my finances, in my parenting, when I'm angry, when I'm hurt, and the list goes on. Written on your heart, these four things will impact all of those. 
And here's the first of them. More God, less me. More God, less me. Now you can go to lexcity.info. We're gonna have all the sermon notes and the scriptures I'm gonna be referring to if that will help you. But what you're gonna find in the Bible is that the Bible is filled with men and women who are examples of more God, less me. Some that do it really well, some that don't do it so well. But there is one man that Jesus said, if you want an example of someone who does this the best, this is the man. Do you know who it is? Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus is speaking and he says, I tell you the truth, which he always does, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist lived completely surrendered to more God, less me. And here's how he did it. He determined in his heart that the passion of his existence would be this key verse. Write this down, John 3, 30. And this is what John the Baptist said about himself. He, speaking of God, must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Maybe your translation says, he must increase and I must decrease. More God, less me. Now, these were not words on some paper somewhere for John. They were written on his heart and that what, that's what God wants to do for us today. Write these on our heart. Every choice he made was filtered through this. And we're gonna see today that John the Baptist sets the bar for you and me really high. And so I'm going there today with us. Why? Because I really believe deep inside you, deep inside you, is a need for something fresh and alive and challenging. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, sometimes he does so as a very gentle breeze. But sometimes, you know what he does? He rattles bones. He puts a lion inside of your lungs. Something about this pandemic, this whole season we're living in has taken life and the lion out of my lungs. I've seen it spiritually for me. I don't know about you if you've experienced the same thing. But it's like for me, just to be real honest, I have lost passion and vision for God doing something new in me. It's like I settled. I've just seen it. And I'm not sure if it's the impact of this new level of systems that sort of lend themselves to convenience. I was trying to think about it. Is that's what it is? It's like, it's like there's a click list for everything. I, I mean, I have never used Kroger click list. It's like the best thing ever. Click on a grocery and it's up in your trunk. You can click on groceries today, but you can also click on church. And, and I'm grateful in this pandemic that we have these innovative ways to care for ourselves, 
to bring some sort of connection. But there's something about convenience, I think, that has found my way into my spiritual bones. Anybody else? And I stopped dreaming, I stopped believing until about a month ago. And I, I was at a meeting with our recovery group leaders in my home. And we started sharing about what God wants to do in the recovery movement and transformation of people's hearts and lives, bring freedom in our church. And I said these words, hey guys, I don't have the gear in me. And they were speeding past me. And at the end of our time, I just felt God say, get on your knees. And they surrounded me. I just got on my knees. I said, God, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. What do you want to do? But I need a fresh touch. I need a new dream. I need a lion inside of these lungs. Would you come? And he did. I don't believe that you or I are meant to live with dry bones. I don't believe that you or I are to live small, insignificant, self-centered, bucket list lives. I don't believe it. That deep inside of us, maybe we've been beaten down by the pandemic or our own sinful, selfish choices, but God is saying, get up, my soul. Get up. Come on. The church, we need to come alive. And it begins when God writes on our heart, more me, less you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the one Jesus said, look at, John the Baptist, who did this really well, and learn from his life what a more God, less me, life can be and means. And here are four things. Number one, living more God, less me begins when I establish a relationship with Jesus. That's how it begins, establishing a relationship with Jesus. I have a journal. It's like an old journal at my house. And it's old because it's way back from 19, I looked at the exact date, 1980. February 18th, 1980, I wrote in this journal, I wrote these words, I have them memorized. Tonight, I had a date with Dr. John Music. And then I put these words, oh God, like this is on my bucket list that wasn't there that I'm improvising. But oh God, if I could ever marry someone like him. That was on my bucket list. But on February 18th, John and I established a relationship. July 1969, I was sitting on a folding metal chair listening to a woman talk about Jesus that he died on the cross for my sin. 
the brokenness inside of me. And at 12 years old, I knew there was something gaping inside of me. But if I would ask him, he would come into my heart and make his home and he would never leave. And on that day, that night, I began a relationship. More God, less me begins when you establish a relationship. Now what's really cool is we have in Luke the account of when John and Jesus began their relationship. You see, they were cousins. John was a little bit older than Jesus. They were cousins. And the two, their two moms came together while they were pregnant with John and Jesus. And here's the story, Luke 1. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 44, when I heard your greeting, the baby, who was John the Baptist, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Don't you love that? So John is in his mother's womb, and yet he is aware of who is in his presence. And you know what he does? He jumps for joy. I love that this established relationship began with joy. Not with fear, but with joy. Because when love is presence and God is love and Jesus was God, joy is presence. I love watching Madison jump on this stage. Like she jumps for joy when she worships. Don't you love watching when she's up here and she has this little jump? And I started thinking, friends, it is time to start jumping again. Your jump may not look like Madison's. Mine doesn't. It would be scary. <laughs> but a jumping heart is what we just sang about. It's a grateful heart. It's gratitude. A jumping heart isn't a heart that is bound by fear and anxiety or, war, or weighed down with sin or shame. That day that I asked Jesus into my heart when I was 12 years old, after I prayed that prayer, do you know what I did? I jumped up with joy out of my seat, literally. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I had to go tell someone. There was so much joy in my heart. And today, maybe your prayer is from the Psalms. Restore, oh God, the joy of my salvation. It's time to jump again. Number two, living more God, less me, means I clear the way for God to do what only God can do. This was John's life purpose and call, to clear the way for God to do what only God could do. Here's the story, John chapter one. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
Here's what John said. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. John replies with the words Isaiah prophesied 700 years before he was born. You see, his purpose was to clear the way of the Lord's coming. Prophesied 700 years before. God prepared something for John long before John was ever born. And God has prepared something for you long before you were ever born. It's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 2, chapter 10 says, For we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared when? In advance for us to do. Now, you may not be a prophet, but as God's child and his servant, your call is no different. All of our calls is to prepare the way of the Lord, to make clear the way of the Lord. When the worship team was praying backstage before they came out here, they were praying, God, help us clear the way for the Lord to do the work, for Lord, you to do the work, in people's hearts. I got on my knees. God, prepare the way that somehow through me, you could open the doors so people could get to you. You clear the way, kid city workers. When you get down on your hands and knees and greet that little four-year-old whose parents are standing over them wondering if they're gonna be able to make it apart from them during church, you clear the way for the kid and for the parent. You clear the way, host team, as you greet people and make them feel welcome when they come in here. You clear the way, media, worship team, wonderful people who use the cameras and make the sound so that we can hear. You clear the way. You clear the way, prayer team. When you, you, in faith, pray over someone believing for their healing like you did last Thursday night at First Thursday. You clear the way when you say, God, here I am. How do you want to use me? Do you want me to jump? Do you want me to kneel? Do you want me to extend a hand? Do you want me to give a check? You clear the way. And that is a part of God's purpose and bucket list for a more God, less me life. Number three is this. Living a more God, less me life and this is going to encourage someone today, will mean I don't have Jesus all figured out. What's happened in your life that makes you ask the question, Jesus, why did you let that happen? What's happened in your life or is happening right now that makes you doubt who Jesus really is? After years of infertility for me and John, and then losing a baby that was supposed to be placed in our arms at the altar of a church an hour before we left, and the birth mother changed her mind, I was devastated. And I remember shouting out to God, is this who you are? Is this how you love someone who trusts you with your life? I don't have you figured out.
But I had a choice in that moment to trust God or walk away. John was in a moment like that. You see, King Herod arrests John. He imprisons him as a favor to his wife. She was the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. And John publicly speaks out to lots of people about the fact that this marriage that Herod's a part of is against God's law. You see, now prophets who rebuke sinful kings do not usually fare well. And John ends up in prison. Now, side note, something I love about John right here is that John lived a life of integrity over influence, over truth, truth over popularity. He was willing to speak the truth. I admire that about him. But Herod hated him for it. And that ended him up in prison. And from prison, John the Baptist is tormented, not by his surroundings. Prophets know they're at one point probably gonna be in prison. He was tormented by doubt. Kind of surprising to me. But not when it's my life. So he sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Here it is. Matthew 11, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things that the Messiah, was, the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Can you believe it? After all this time and everything that he, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? He's heard about Jesus doing all these things, but it doesn't make sense what those things are. Like, why are you doing these things? In my mind, I thought I had you figured out. You would come and you would overthrow the evil injustice of the government and you would take your place. And what's happening? So he sends two of his closest disciples to Jesus and they go and they find Jesus. I don't know how long they're there, but they say, Jesus, John wants to know, are you the Messiah? who we've been expecting, or like, should we be looking for someone else? His life mission is to prepare the way. Are you him? And apparently these two guys sit down and hang out for a while and they see all this stuff because then Jesus says to them, Jesus told them, verse four, go back to John. Tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. They come back and they tell John, and John would recognize that this was again Isaiah's prophecy that Jesus was speaking, and the promise would be the peace that John needed. A more God, less me life does not mean you will have Jesus all figured out, but it does mean that you continue to trust him when you don't. My experience has been that Jesus does not always answer with the speed I desire, or the answer is not always the deliverance I am hoping for but he always sends help. 
He always sends help that is needed. His grace will always be sufficient for you. You can trust him. Now, what I love in this story is that, do you remember what, John, what Jesus said about John in verse 11? I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Do you know when Jesus said that about John? Y'all, it was right here. It was right after this. It wasn't right after John baptized Jesus. It was after John doubted Jesus. Does that not bring you hope? That's what a more God, less me life looks like. You won't have them all figured out. But he'll send help. You can trust him on that. And lastly is this. How do I live a more God, less me life? Living a more God, less me life costs John his life. I understand that following God will cost me mine. Herod, Matthew records, didn't just hate John, he wanted to kill him. Matthew 14, verse six. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. So John was beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist and his head ends up on a tray over a lustful, power-hungry resentment? Yep. But you see, friend, John's bucket list was not for the here and now. It was for the then and the yet to come. And right now, do you know where John is, head intact? Worshiping Jesus, cheering on this message that you might be challenged to live a more God, less me life. The likelihood that you and I will suffer physical death for our faith is small. Not for everyone, but for us it is. But I'm gonna tell you something. It cost you your life. When you turn your life and your will over to the care of God, that does mean that you give up your own way of life and you pick up his cross, which is a sign of death, 
and victory and follow him. It does mean you live Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ now who lives in me. I will lose my life for the sake of the gospel that I might gain my life. And it will mean that you declare with John, I must decrease and he must increase more God and less me. So today, friends, what needs to shift? Maybe you need to get on your knees like I did and just say, God, bring these dry bones to life. Put a lion in my lungs. Inconvenience has had a stronghold. It's found its way. Help me rise up. I can't do it on my own, but you can touch me. Maybe today for you, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. You can click online. We will pray with you there. You can come down to the service. Elders and prayer team will be here. Give your life to Jesus and begin a relationship. Come down here and pray and just say, I need to be set free. I am bound with fear or anxiety. Come down here and pray. Ask the Lord to rise up in you, to use your life in a new way. You may not know what it is, but surrender to him. Let him be in charge. He will not forsake you. More God, less us, church. Please bow your heads with me. And just in a moment, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Voice behind my voice. What is he saying to you? What action step does he need you to take? What prayer does he want you to pray? Just take a moment. God, only you, only you can change our heart. Only you can set us free. God, come now and clear the way for us so that we can live really the abundant life of more you and less us. In your name we pray, amen.